here you know we're in the middle, or actually at the end. Today's the last uh, message in a series we've been doing that we've been, we called Hope in the Dark. And we're talking about breaking the cycle of anxiety and depression and fear that so often cycles in our lives. And uh, we believe that those of us that are followers of Jesus, that, that we don't have to uh, succumb to that in our life, to continually be in that cycle of those things in our life. Now, again, I've said this every week. I want to say it again today. I always like to give this disclaimer. We, I understand and we understand that there is a, a physiological side for a lot of people when it comes to anxiety and depression and fear and, and those things. And, and those things are real. Uh, we don't discount that one bit. And we, we actually encourage you, if, if you think your GP could help you um, in, that, in, in, in that fight in your life, we encourage you to go talk to your doctor about it. We don't, uh, we don't shame or put down anybody that would do that. And, in fact, it's, it's very, very common now, and, that's, and it's fine. We've made a lot of advances in our medical and uh, pharmaceuticals that can help us in that. But I'm not a doctor, so I'm not talking about that part of, of this struggle because I, I also know that there's a, a, a spiritual side to this struggle too. And uh, that's what we've been talking about over these last few weeks because I believe the Word of God gives us a lot of what we need to be able to fight this and win in our life and, be, and live as overcomers in our life. And uh, if, you know, if you were here the, two weeks ago when we started this, we talked about avoiding the traps that we can so often fall into when it comes to uh, dealing with the emotions in our life. And then last week we talked about rest and what it looks like to live from a place of rest, even in the midst of the turmoil and the things in our life that can cause so much anxiety and stress and things like that. And this week, to finish this up, uh, we're going to talk about strength to overcome. And that's the title of my sermon today is Strength to Overcome, How to Live Victoriously in this Life, in this life with the Strength that God would give us to help us overcome. I don't know about you, but I know that I need more strength than my own strength to live victoriously. And, uh, you know, I love that song, that last song we sang. Uh, it says that I'm not enough unless you come. Lord, would you meet me here again? What a powerful message. And when I hear, when I sing that I'm not enough, man, everything inside of me resonates and says, that's right, you're not. <laughs> but praise God, I don't have to be enough. Amen. And so uh, as we move forward, I'm actually going to ask you to stand with me as I read the, the scripture, just in honor of reading the word. I know you've been standing a good bit, and I won't keep you standing long, but I'd like to stand as we read this. Uh, my theme verse for this series, and I'm going to read it again today, it's out of Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. 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 Would you pray with me? Father God, we pray today that you would just come and have your way in the rest of this service, Lord. Have your way in our lives. Open our hearts to hear your word, Lord. We pray that your word would fall on good soil today, and it would produce a harvest in our lives. God, we give you all the glory, all the praise, all the honor. You're the only one worthy of it. And we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. And amen. Before you're seated, high five somebody and tell them I'm stronger than I think. Now, how many of you actually believed that when you said it? <laughs> Don't answer that. Don't answer that. It's rhetorical. So I wonder how many of us actually struggle to believe that we can live this, this life of an overcomer that we're talking about. You know, I think, I think it's a struggle for a lot of us. I think that uh, we come to church, you know, and, and we put on a happy face and we try, to, we try to do our best. When people ask us how we're doing, 
You know, we say, oh, you know, I'm doing good. And then we go home and we, we kind of suffer in silence. And uh, it's not that we want to be fake. It's not that we're just trying to be fake people and, and uh, you know, deceive everybody in our life. But there's something about this struggle in our life that causes so many of us to struggle alone and in silence. And I actually talked about that our, the, the first week when we talked about this. We talked about the fact that, you know, we're designed for community. And we as believers, we know that. You know, we know that we're designed to be in relationship. We know that, that we're, we're stronger together. We know what the Bible says, that if one can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. And we know those things. But yet we'll still struggle in silence. We know that there's no such thing as an army of one person. You know, that army requires, we're, we're the army of God. It requires us to be together. We believe in community. We understand community. But yet there's something in us that will fight alone. And oftentimes not even telling our spouse or those closest to us. And, you know, we know that because when you hear stories of people that have committed suicide, they've taken that step and done that, and those tragic events. And so oftentimes when you hear people that were close to that person talk, you hear the same thing. You hear, we had no idea. We had no idea that it was this bad. And so we do a good job of, of keeping it to ourselves and, and hiding it in a way to put our, to, so that people don't really see behind the veil to see what we're really dealing with. And, you know, I would argue today that one of the biggest reasons we do that is because if we let people see that part of us, that struggle, that it looks like weakness. And we do not want to be weak, do we? That's something we don't want. We don't want to show weakness. We don't want to look uh, emotionally weak. We don't want to look physically weak, especially if you're a guy. You know, guys, we don't want to look physically weak. We want to look, that's why mo most guys don't go to the, the gyms where you pump weights because the guys that are there that are strong see you and you feel weak when you can only put up 150 pounds and they're pushing up 300, you know? We don't want people to see that weakness. And we sure don't want people to see it if we're spiritually weak. You know, we, especially in church, you know, we want to look like, mm, I got my best duds on today. I got it together. I'm doing good. Everything's good. You're good. I'm good. And we do our best to try to, to, to show everybody our best side, but not necessarily the real side. And I, I just want to, I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you today. Like, I'm not, I'm not here today to try to give you a quick fix, okay? This isn't something we're going to do in 35 minutes. We're just going to figure it out and you're going to walk out of here and, and everything's just going to be easy for you, okay? This is something where God has given us principles to live by, but we have to understand those principles and we have to live those principles out day by day. How many of you know the majority of our life in a Christian walk and our faith walk is about getting better and better every day? It's about little by little. It's about growing, being better today than I was yesterday. You know, we, I hope the day you got saved, if you've been saved for 10 years, I hope you're not the same person that you were that first day you got saved. Because we grow as we pro progress in this life. You know, the Bible says that, we, that, his, the, that the Lord's mercies are new every morning. Well, if, if we were made perfect when we got saved, we wouldn't need new mercies every morning. If I, I, could just, I could just draw on that mercy I had 25 years ago when I got saved. But God knows and I know that I need that new mercy every single morning. Every morning, because I, I have failures every single day. The Bible also tells us that we are renewed inwardly day by day. Day by day, we are renewed. That's how, that's how the faith walk works. It's not about quick fixes. Does God do miracles and give us instant breakthroughs, sudden breakthroughs sometimes? Absolutely. 
And I'm Pentecostal, and I believe in it with all of my heart, every ounce of my being, because I've seen it. But I also know that we have to live our life, we have to walk our life trusting God, even if we don't get that, that snap miracle that we're looking for. And we have to be willing to know that it's going to be step by step, day by day, growing in our walk with him every day of our life. But you know, when I was saying about how we, we do this alone, so oftentimes um, we, we walk this, this life out not letting people see where we're really coming from, even though we know we're supposed to be in relationship. You know, relationship's not just so we don't have to go to the movies by ourselves. you know? It's because we are stronger together. We are stronger together. But that weakness is something we don't want people to see. And you know, it's very, very interesting to me that we would fight alone and just hope for the best because in, the, in this culture, what's happening is that, that strength is something that's glorified. Okay? And that's not something that's new to 2019. It's been that way from day one. Strength has always been something that's more honored and glorified, and people are revered when they're strong. You know, even today, we like, to, we like to watch people on TV that we know can do things that we can't do. You know, that's why the talent shows are so popular, is because you love to watch somebody sing that can sing in a way that you can't do it, because, and it just sounds better. You know, we love to watch sports. We love to watch a guy that can dunk a basketball in a 10-foot hoop. Or, or somebody that can hit a 98-mile-an-hour fastball 450 feet. Or for that matter, somebody that can throw a baseball 98 miles an hour. We love to see those things because it looks like it's strength to us. It's something we can't do, so we like to watch it. You know, it's why they put brainiacs on Jeopardy and not three people like me. <laughs> right? Unless the questions are about beginner's French or a little bit of geography, I'm toast. You know, we would, it would be the most boring Jeopardy show you've ever seen. We like seeing those guys and, and gals that can answer those questions that it would take me a minute to look up even on Google, you know? We, we revere that strength in our culture, and strength is seen as success, and weakness is seen as failure in life. And so what we do as believers, when we have that weakness where we're struggling with, you know, anxiety or, or whatever that emotion is that's, that's coming at you in your life, what we do is we hide it because we want to look like we're strong. And, you know, I'm not here to, to villainize strength at all. Strength is actually a very good thing. It's a very good thing. But we have to find, get our understanding on what strength is from the Word of God, not from our society. That's where we have to figure out, find out what's, what real strength really looks like, what the strength that will last looks like. Because, you know, the guys that work out in the gym, it's all fine and good, but, you know, if you don't work out for four days, what you've gained starts to go away. But there's a strength that comes from God that doesn't have to go away. It'll stay with us. And there is a strength that comes from him that you can't get from working out, you can't get from taking supplements, that you can't get from an institution of higher learning, that you can't get from self-help books, that you can't get from anywhere other than from our God. And that's a strength that I want. I hope you want it too. Amen? Amen. Well, I believe he's going to help us find it today. And with that, I'm going, to re I'm going to give you my text verse for this sermon in just a second, but I want to set it up. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, he wrote these letters to the Corinthian church to rebuke them because they were getting out of line on some things. And in his second letter, he was talking about how he actually had this thorn in the flesh that he had prayed that God would remove this thorn that was hindering him. He said, I asked the Lord three times to take it away from me. Okay? So just so you know where Paul's coming from, let me read this verse of what he says that God said to him when he asked him to take this away. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10, it says, But he said to me, My grace 
is sufficient for you. Now here it is. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So when am I strong? When I'm weak. It's interesting because that's the exact opposite of what our society would say, isn't it? Who would have thought our society didn't get it right? They get everything right, right? Turns out our inability or our unwillingness to, to show our weakness is actually working against us getting strength. If you, if you believe what Paul said here, that what he actually said God said to him specifically is that uh, not wanting to show our weakness is actually working against us. But the, there, there's, a, there's principles here that we have to understand. And I, I want to spend the rest of my time here kind of going through this because there's things we have to know to be able to apply the strength or activate, as I, I could say, the strength of God in our life today, okay? So I want to give you three things that you need to know for this strength to be activated and manifested in your life. And first one is that you have to know who you are. You have to know who you are. Now, this sounds very basic and very simple, but I'm telling you, the majority of us as believers in Jesus miss this. We live our whole life kind of going in and out of knowing who we are, but we don't stay in that consistent state of really understanding who we are in Christ Jesus. And you cannot get the power in your life to walk in victory without knowing who you are. And what I'm here to tell you today, church, is that this is about identity, and there is a war in your life for your identity. The enemy has an all-out assault on each and every one of us as followers. The day you got saved, you went on the enemy's hit list to make sure that you did not know who you are in Jesus. Because if he can keep us from knowing who we are in Jesus, then he can keep us defeated. But if we know who we are in Jesus, his lies are powerless against us. But he will work hard to keep us from really knowing who we are in Jesus. Because here's the thing. What we believe about ourselves determines how we will live. In everything, really. But more than anything in, faith, in your faith. What you believe about yourself determines how you will live. Your belief system determines everything that you do within a day. Everything. You believe that the brakes on your car are going to work, so you get in it and you drive. If you didn't believe those brakes are going to work... I'd be walking. I don't care how far it was to work, right? You believe that if you do your job, you will get a paycheck at the end of the week. That's why you work. If you, th if you didn't believe you were getting a paycheck after your week of work, how many of us would go to work? I don't see one hand. I would still go, Pastor. <laughs> but we do, every, everything we do is because we believe in it. And if we believe that we are children of God and we have the rights of the children of a child of God, then the enemy's lies are powerless against us. But he will work hard to keep us from believing that. I don't usually like to harness or uh, uh, reference a Disney movie for many reasons, but today I'm going to make an exception because this one is actually, actually illustrates well the point I'm trying to make. If you guys, probably all of us in here know The Lion King. A lot of us saw it back in the mid-90s, and some of us saw it just this year when they redid it, and we all know anybody with any wisdom knows that the original was the best. <laughs> Amen. It was. And because uh, the new one, the, the lions couldn't even smile, so it was really weird. But anyway, the premise of the movie is, is Simba is the child of the king, Mufasa. 
and he's the heir to the throne. And it starts out great, and then Scar, the, the king's evil brother, devises a plan and figures out a way to kill Mufasa, right? And Simba is the heir to the throne, so he's the, he's the rightful person to take the throne. But Scar convinces Simba that it was his fault that the king died and convinces him that he needs to run away and completely abandon the rights that he had. And he does, because he was young and he was impressionable and he believed, he was brainwashed, he believed it, and so he ran away. And you see a, a bulk of the movie is Simba actually living out in the wilderness, living with some warthog and some other little thing. I don't even know what it was. A meerkat, thank you. <laughs> Should have done my research, getting called out by the crowd. Um, but, you know, he is living in these meager conditions where he's supposed to be on the throne ruling his kingdom, eating meat fit for a king. Instead, he's eating slugs and bugs and slimy things. But he's convinced himself that it's okay. He said, oh, this is better anyway. You know, he's kicking about hukuna matata. You know, nothing really matters. Everything's fine. He's convinced himself of that, but you can see the inner turmoil because he knows he's not living the way he's supposed to live. And it's not until he, he gets this, this uh, revelation from his father in the clouds that says, you know, this powerful scene in the movie where Mufasa says, remember who you are, Simba. Remember who you are. And of course he goes back and spoiler alert, he defeats Scar and takes his throne back. Sorry if you haven't seen it, but you should have known that by now, right? But that's exactly, church, what the enemy does in our life. He tries to get us to deny who we really are as children of God. Because if he can do that, we're defeated. We're defeated. He tries to get us to not know who we are, to not understand what our rights are, to, to neglect the, the rightful error that we have in our life. Because if he can do that, we're completely ineffective. And the enemy will lie to us and do everything he can to keep us from really understanding that. And he will try to use your past against you. That's what Scar did in the movie. He said, oh, you, you killed your dad, so you, know, you can never be forgiven for that, so you just need to run away and neglect who you're supposed to be. Yeah. And the enemy will do that in our life, too. He will try to use our past against you to keep you from knowing who you are. Amen. That's his plan in our life. How many times have you heard, your, heard yourself thinking or saying, like, mm, man, I, you know, that, that, whatever that was, those choices I made back there, you know, I just don't know if I even deserve to really be able to have that peace in my life that I want. You know, I'm, this is penance. I'm paying for the, for the bad choices I made back in the past. We probably wouldn't say it out loud, but we do believe it sometimes. Yeah. So let's, and let's look at what Paul says in that same letter to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 to 17. He says, so from now on, everyone say from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. That's God's words that he would say to you when the enemy would try to say that, uh, that you're not who you think you are or your, your past has disqualified you from whatever you think God might call you to do. God would say, no, 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 no. The old is gone. You're a new creation. You know, sometimes we can fall into this, this bad thinking of thinking that when we gave our heart and our life to Jesus, that he forgave us, but those, those sins are still kind of coming with us. They're just not being held against us. That's not what it is at all. This is about regeneration. This is about you are actually dead, and there's a brand new you that comes out when we give our heart to Jesus. It's the symbolization of, of baptism. That's why we do baptism the way we do it. You go down into the water. That's the old man. That old man's gone. 
That old man is history. When we come out, we're a brand new person. We're forgiven. We're regenerated. We're, we have a whole new life, and our past life cannot be used against us. And we have to believe that. We have to understand that, that we are forgiven. And it's, when God forgives, he doesn't just forgive and say, like, like we do sometimes when we forgive people, like, yeah, I'm going to forgive you, but man, I'm keeping that in my pocket in case I can use it against you one day. You know? God doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He chooses not to remember our offenses or not to hold them against us. And if he's doing that, that means the enemy cannot use your past against you. Amen. So we are forgiven. We're reborn. And we are children of the king. And that is our rightful place to live. And we have all the rights that the Bible tells us that we have as followers of Jesus. Every single one of them. Every promise from God is yes and amen a million times. Amen? amen? amen. All right. Because, see, here's the thing. Our, our past and our flesh, I guess more than our past, our flesh will try to rename us. Just as God renames us when we're, when we're regenerated and born again, our flesh will actually try to take us back to that past. So it's the enemy, too, but sometimes we don't even need the enemy to take us back there to try to get us to remember what we've done or to rename us. You know, James tells us that we're led astray by our own evil desires, that, the, that our own evil desires lead us away and we get tempted and we get drawn away. So we have to be aware of that, that he, sometimes it's even us ourselves that we will try to take ourselves back to that. Or there may be people in your life that will take you back to that. Somebody has spoken some horrible words over you. You know, maybe it was even a parent or a spouse or a teacher or a, maybe even a pastor or somebody you, that you respected spiritually that has spoken something over you that causes you to keep thinking back to that and thinking, I just don't know if I'm worthy of it. I just don't know. You know, I don't feel like I get the same rights. I can believe for something for you, but for me, I just, I just don't know. You know, I know what the Bible says, but I just feel like there's an exception there for me because I just don't feel it. When in reality, God would say, no, his promises in our life are absolutely yes and amen. Because God has some names for us too, you know. His names for us are really great. He, calls, he says we're an overcomer. That we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. He says that we're victorious. He says that we're free. The Bible says it was for freedom's sake that Christ set us free. No longer subject to a yoke of slavery. We're free. We're fearless. We're not fearful. We're fearless is the name that he gives us. The Bible says that he did not give us a spirit of fear, but a power of love. And this is the best part, a sound mind. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Yay, amen, amen. There ain't one of us out here that doesn't sometimes feel like we're going crazy. But I can tell you, as a follower of Jesus, the spirit he gives us is a sound mind. That Holy Spirit in you is a sound mind. Now, you might have those moments. God knows we all have those moments. And if you're married, you know that each other can have those moments. Right? But we don't stay in those moments. We are free from that. We have a sound mind that God has given us that we can operate in in our life. Amen? All right. Now, I could stay here forever on this point, but I got to move on. So we've got to know who we are. We also need to know our role. We need to know our responsibility when it comes to having that power, that strength that God wants to give us to manifest in our life. We have a part to play. And I'm going to tell you today that it all boils down to one thing. According to the verses I read from, from Paul, we have to embrace our weakness. We have to embrace weakness. Now, that doesn't mean we own it and hold on to it and enjoy it, but it's, it's acknowledging it and an understanding that we are weak. Okay? I want to read a verse for you in uh, 
2 Corinthians, same, same book, same letter that Paul wrote, one chapter earlier in, in chapter 11 and verse 30. Paul said, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Now this sounds a little counterintuitive to say I'm going to boast in my weakness. But you know, walking the life of faith isn't about intuition. It's not about our common sense. We don't follow Jesus with our common sense. It doesn't mean there's no place for common sense. But we can't just use our common sense in every situation and assume that that's God's will and his word spoken to us. What we do is we look at the scripture and see what lines up with his word, right? And so he's saying here that we boast in our weakness. Now, now Paul's using a little bit of sarcasm here, which I really appreciate being a Yankee. But uh, he's not saying, you know, we literally just go around bragging about how weak we are, you know, or about our, our shortcomings, you know, like, man, I know, you, I tell you got gossip, that's a good one, but man, anxiety right here. I'm running around with it all day long. You can't imagine how fearful I am. It's amazing. You know, it's not what he's saying here, but what he's saying is we need to acknowledge it. You know, we can actually rejoice in our weaknesses and it's all because of the text verse that I read. And I'm going to read it again because it's just that good. It's in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly. He's talking about boasting again in his weaknesses. So that, this is why, church, this is why he's boasting in his weaknesses. So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, whose sake? Just so we know for sure, it's all about him. I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, say it with me, then I am strong. That's powerful. That is some powerful. This is life-changing stuff, church. God's power in our life is actually activated when we acknowledge our weakness and submerge ourselves in dependence on him. That's what Paul's saying here. That is what activates the power of God in our life. Because see, here's the thing. We're already weak. <laughs> some of us might have fooled ourselves into thinking we're strong and independent and God's just really impressed with me and how strong I am. But he's not. He really wants your weakness. We're already weak. He's just saying, I just want you to acknowledge it. I just want you to admit it so that I can come in and be the strength that you need. You know, uh, when my son Noah, when he was just a little guy, I think he was probably about five years old, he wanted to play baseball. Maybe from a little, a little push from his dad, I'm not sure, but you know, because baseball was my sport growing up. And so he wanted to play, so I went and bought him a glove and I was so excited. And you know, I got that glove and I microwaved it and made it a little moldable and you know, got it ready, and we went outside to play catch, and, and uh, one of my girls was tossing him the ball, and, and it would hit him in the glove, and it would pop out, because he wasn't strong enough to close it. He's just a little guy, you know, and he did it again, it would hit the glove and pop out. And I finally said, no, let me, let me help you, okay? He's like, no, no, dad, I want to do it myself. You know, independent little runt. That's what he was. <laughs> just like his dad, sadly. Um, and so uh, I just backed off, and I said, okay, Go ahead. And kept doing it. Just kept hitting and falling out, hitting and falling out. Finally, he got frustrated because he wasn't catching it. He finally looked back at me. He said, Dad, can you help me? I can't do it. And I said, absolutely. And I just knelt down there with him, and I held his hand, my hands over the glove. When that ball hit the glove, I closed that glove for him. And he was so excited when he caught that first one. It stayed in there. He's like, Dad, look, we did it. Just overjoyed. You know, his whole countenance changed. 
because he was able to, to catch that ball. Well, in reality, he really didn't do much of anything. I was literally holding his hands and the glove, and I snatched the ball with my hands so he could catch it. But he was so excited. And I, I just think that's such, a, that's such an analogy, that, uh, of an illustration of how God is with us. He'll sit on the sidelines and wait as long as we say, I can do it myself. And he's not even going to say, he's not even going to like, if we're like, well, God, okay, you can come help me, but I just want you to kind of stand here as I do it. And, you know, you can give me some pointers if you want. He doesn't kind of help us. He either, he's either all in or he's not in when it comes to giving us the strength that we need. That's who he is. And you don't want to know why? Because if we're, we're, the Bible tells us that we're vessels, you know, we're jars of clay that house his presence. So he can't fill a vessel that's already full of itself. And he won't compete with us either. So unless we empty ourselves so that he can come in and fill us, we're just doing it on our own. Right? Amen? And this is why, church, and this is something we got to get. If we can get this, it'll change our life. The reason he will not try to fill a vessel that's already full, because you might say, well, he could just push himself in and push whatever's in there out if he wanted to. He's not going to do it because he is not going to share his glory with us. He's not going to share the glory. A verse I read, it said it was for Christ's sake that he gave him the power that he needed. Everything we do is for Christ's sake. The day you got saved, God started you on a journey of glorifying him every day. That's the journey you're on. And you know why he won't share his glory? Because what's going to happen if I do something, if, if Noah had finally figured it out on his own, he was able to snatch that ball with the glove himself. You know what he'd done? He'd looked at me and been like, yeah, I did it. Which is fine as a kid, you know, and something like that. But when it comes to our, our life and our walk with him, he's not going to share that glory. Because if I figure out something on my own, you know who's going to get the glory? This guy. Who has two thumbs and is going to get some glory? Right here, right? And God says, uh-uh, I don't share my glory. It's all about him. It's all about his faithfulness, his mercy, his grace, his power, his love, his everything. It's all about him. And he brings us along on this journey, but he demands that we are empty so that he can fill us with himself because he will not share it with us. Church, we need to get to a place where we understand that our weakness is a greater weapon for God than our strength. I mean, I, I, if I'm taking notes, I'd write that down and I would meditate on that. We have to get to a place where we realize that our weakness is a greater weapon in our life than our strength. And if we can embrace that and get that, that is as countercultural as it gets, church. Because as soon as you get outside these doors, everything that's out there says the exact opposite of that. And that is by design from the God of this age who has blinded the minds of unbelievers. But we don't have to live that way, do we? We, we live a different way. Our eyes are not blinded. Our eyes have been opened to the truth of who God is. All right, I got to move on to the next one because I'm about out of time here. The last one, we have to know where to look. We have to know who we are. We have to know our role and we have to know where to look. And I just want to finish by saying there's only one place to look if you really want to live with that Holy Spirit power in your life. And that is having an intimate, deep, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Not a superficial, not I'm saved, but I'm just kind of, you know, plugging along, doing my best. But having a passionate, personal, intimate relationship with him every day. Every day. That's the only way to really be able to focus and understand what it looks like to walk victoriously in our life. And I'm going to use Elijah to illustrate this, okay? Elijah, most of you know he was one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. God did many, many miracles through him. 
There's, there's uh, I think, about 16 or so documented in the Bible. I could be off a little bit, but, you know, some of them were that he, he parted the Jordan River. He's one of the people that parted the, the waters in the Old Testament. Uh, he was fed by an angel, I think twice. Uh, in a time of, of famine, he was fed by ravens that actually brought him food. Uh, he, there was a woman, a widow woman that was out of food, and he multiplied her food to get her through the time of famine. And then when that woman's son died, he actually raised him back to life. I mean, major, unbelievably powerful, incredible stuff that if we saw firsthand with our eyes, we would be blown away by every single one. Can you imagine just seeing water part like that? I mean, just amazing stuff that he, that he was able to accomplish because of the Lord using him. And probably the most famous one was on Mount Carmel where uh, he defeated the 450 prophets of Baal. They, they offered a sacrifice to their God, which is basically Satan, and he did not consume his, their sacrifice. And then Elijah offered a sacrifice, and Jehovah God came and, and consumed his sacrifice with fire. And all the prophets of Baal were killed that day and defeated, and they were, it was a whole purging of all of that. Unbelievable mountaintop experience, literally and figuratively, that he went through. And in the very next chapter, we see that he is scared for his life because the, the queen at the time, Jezebel, was upset about what he did, so she said, I was gonna, she, said she was going to kill him. And so let's look in, in uh, 1 Kings 19, verses 3 to 5, at what Elijah did. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Sounds like he was dealing with some fear and anxiety there. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. So he went from fear and anxiety into complete hopelessness. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Anyone ever felt like that? I've had enough. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. This is really, really remarkable when you, when you think about this. This guy had, this, had all these incredible experiences with the Lord. Emotional experiences with the Lord. Mountaintop, saw miracles, saw some amazing things. Like I said, that we would just, it, we would feel like if we saw some of the stuff that he did or the Lord used us to do some of those things that man, I, would, I would never be the same. My life, I would never doubt God again. I would never have any anxiety again. I would never struggle again because of what I've seen God do. And yet here's Elijah, a prophet of God that has all these things happen and he is anxious, fearful, depressed, hopeless, despaired, everything literally wants God to kill him. Which, by the way, it was a good thing God didn't kill him. In fact, Elijah ended up never dying. He was taken in a whirlwind up into heaven. How many you know sometimes the, the best thing God can do is not answer our prayers, right? But he had all these amazing experiences, yet he's saying, I just want to die. I just want to die. It, it's, it's unfathomable to us on this side of that, thinking how could he feel that way after having that incredible, all those incredible experiences with God? And I would suggest to you today, it's because what is going to sustain us in our life is not those huge mountaintop experiences. Those are good. They're great. I've had them in my life, and I remember them, and I love them. But what sustains us in our life is that day-to-day -day relationship with Jesus. And I'm going to show you exactly what, what God did in that situation with Elijah. God responded by telling Elijah to get up and go up on the hill. In verses, the second part of verse 11 through 13, look what it says. It says, Then a great powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. That was a 
a huge experience. It says it tore the mountain apart and shattered rocks. It was a miracle just that Elijah wasn't killed in that. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. But after the fire, watch this church, after the fire came a gentle whisper. The, the, old, the, the King James says a still small voice. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. God was in the whisper. He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. He was in the whisper. You know, you know why he was in the whisper and not those other things? Because there's something significant about a whisper. You can't hear a whisper unless you're right up next to the person. If any of you right now whisper in this room, I wouldn't be able to hear you. You'd hear me whisper because I have a microphone, but the rest of us couldn't hear it. God is saying here, he's given us a principle for life here, church. He's saying, I want you to get close to me because I'm going to be in the whisper. I'm going to be in that gentle, small voice that's going to sustain you and keep you. This, this was after Elijah had seen all these amazing things, and then he saw three more amazing things right there, and those didn't help him, but that gentle whisper did. You know, sin separated us from God, right? And Jesus came to bring us back so we could be close to God, so we could be in his presence, so we could be in the holy of holies with him. And God is saying to us, you have to know where to look. Like if you want to, if you want to walk victoriously, it is about getting close to me so that you can hear me whisper. I don't want to have to scream for you to be able to hear what I'm trying to tell you. I want you to get to, with me so you can hear me whisper. That's his heart for each and every one of us, church that we would be so close, that we would pursue him in a way that we would get alone with him to where he can speak to our heart in that still small voice and in that quiet place. And we can't do that if we're just going about our day, just kind of hoping for the best. We have to be willing to apply these principles in our life. We have to be able to get close to him. He, he chases us. God, God is chasing us all the time. But he... He's always waiting. We have to be the ones to turn to him so that we can actually hear him speaking in our life. And that's how we'll walk with victory in, in the day-to-day -day situations in our life. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as, as we close this morning or this afternoon. This is a hard truth for us to learn sometimes, church. Everything Jesus did, everything Jesus did was to draw us closer to him closer to him in our lives. We have to work out our salvation. We are being renewed every day and God is calling us to continue in our faith. Colossians 1 tells us to continue in our faith, to continue to walk that out. So I want to ask you this morning, I'm just going to pray over all of us and I just encourage you today to respond. You can, you can respond in your seat. But as I pray, if you want to receive this, I want to pray that God would just help us to learn what it means to, to live victoriously, to give that, get that strength that God gives us. I'm just going to ask you to just extend your hands out. I know some of you may not be comfortable with it, but I'm just, I'm telling you today, there's something about just responding to the Lord, to the word of the Lord and saying, God, here I am. This, this is just an act of surrender. It's just saying, God, I, I just need you. I just need you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you today for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to go through this life alone. We don't have to be strong on our own. We don't have to be independent. But God, we can draw on our strength from you. Lord, I thank you today 
that we can know who we are, we can know what's asked of us, and we can know where to look based on your word. God, we know we are your children. I, I just pray against any of the lies that have been spoken over any one of us in this room today that have convinced us that we are not who you say we are. Lord, we come against those lies today in the name of Jesus. We, we pray that those lies would be exposed for what they are. They are from the pit of hell. And God, we put them back where they belong because the truth is that we are yours, that we are redeemed, that we are regenerated, that we are brand new. The old is gone and the new has come. And God, we want to be weak for you today. Lord, we empty ourselves. We don't want to be a vessel that's full of ourselves. We want to be a vessel that's empty so that you can fill us, so that you will receive glory, so that your power can be manifested in our life. And oh God, would you help us to draw close to you? Lord, we want to hear your whisper. Lord, we love it when you yell. We love it when you give us those mountaintop experiences. But Lord, we want to be able to hear you whisper day to day. We want to know you in an intimate, personal way, God, and help us to do our part to know you in that way. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you loved us so much that you would not allow that sin that separated us to continue to separate us, but you bridged the gap. You brought us back to you so that we could know you, so that we can live for you, and we could love you, and we could live victoriously in this life. And we'll give you all the praise, the thanks, the honor, the worship. It's all yours, Lord. We ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen.